0: You're listening to A Conversation on Modern Measures of Learning, a podcast that inspires educators to explore the paradigm shift in instructional assessment and grading practices. My name is Eric Patnotes, and I'm sitting down with educators to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and how to use failure as the seed to growth and success. So, Welcome, everybody. This is Eric Patnotes, and we're doing another of the Modern Measures podcast on today's episode. I'm really excited to talk with Dan Ryder. He's somebody that I've known um, for years now, going back all the way to the Actum conference in Maine. And um, Dan is well known for his work with design thinking and how do you incorporate that into just the the whole education process. Um, He was recently a national finalist for the NEA Foundation Horace Mann Teacher of the Year or Teacher of Excellence, I should say, which is amazing, and we'll we'll get into that in a few minutes. So he has a book that's been out for about two years on critical creativity, and that's going to be the essence of our conversation today. Is getting into that and how do we incorporate that on our day to day basis? Um, Dan, I'm super excited to have you on the show and, and talk about um, everything that you've got going on because every time I, every time we talk, it's like full of energy and walk away with a hundred new ideas and (laughs) I'm um, sorry it's just it's always no good times awesome (laughs) awesome fun um so yeah Dan so welcome to the show uh anything that I missed that you've got going on lately that you're super excited about um
1: wow you captured a lot of it uh right there uh one thanks for having me on this is super cool um anytime I get a chance to talk with you it's a win so um yay uh and even better that, that other people uh might get a chance to listen in on um uh, when you and I get get rolling on ideas um get jamming on something right? right right exactly so so that's cool um yeah uh so currently uh my gig is I am the education director of the Success and Innovation Center at Mount Blue High School in in Farmington Maine where this like rural school district um we're regional we have 750 kids that come to our school, but they come from 11 different towns. So we, uh, we, we cover a, a large amount of land and uh, a lot of different communities with a lot of different perspectives uh, all coming together here in the foothills of Western Maine. Um, and what I do there in that center is uh, each day um, we treat it like a combination of a maker space and uh, a counseling office. Um, we call it mentoring rather than counseling, but uh, we we provide what we call the compass in the canvas. You come in with a problem, and we either help direct you towards a solution that exists or the people that can help you with that problem, or if no solution exists, we help you design and make one. So it might wow. be something academic. you know. It might be like, I need to do this project for my social studies class. I'm not sure how to... I'm not sure how to capture what I understand about um, the Puritan era and or it might be... I'm trying to think of an actual thing I did yesterday. Yesterday, it was helping an English class, a student in English class um, who needed to demonstrate her understanding of rhetorical devices. And so we were trying to use FDR's um, speech uh, declaring war with Japan and see if we could use that as an inspiration to, to move her forward because she already liked the speech and she had been studying it. And we came up with this project where she's going to pretend that FDR owns a car dealership and she's going to create the ads <laughs> that he would be delivering on the radio, um, but do them in FDR style using FDR style rhetoric. So it'll be these so very awesome. matter of fact car ads. We were joking. It would be like, we have a car. It has four <laughs> wheels, <laughs> right? We, 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 have, we have nothing to fear, but running out of gasoline because then your car won't go forward. You know, like, oh like just like how his style was so different from say like a president Trump, you know, of it's kind of hyperbolic to the extreme about everything. Right. So we're, um, so we so we'll do something like that, and then like two minutes later, a kid will walk through the door and say, um, "My parents are fighting all the time, and I'm terrified uh, that something bad's going to happen to my sibling. What do I do?" And we connect them to the people that we need to make that not a thing, and and to help them navigate that problem. Um, so it's. There's myself and then my, my co-director, Becky Dennison, she's the resource director, um, uh, takes kind of the lead on what, what some might call the social work aspect of the, of the space. And um, that's what we do every day. And sometimes I push out and help classes do whole units um, around design challenges or around a particular uh, concept or working with robotics or working with 3D printing or working with sketch noting, or working with, you know, whatever kind of new idea that that teacher is interested in, but doesn't really know a lot about and doesn't feel confident tackling it themselves. I go in and kind of co-teach um, with them. And sometimes it's just helping people find the things that they need. Uh, you know, whether it's a book or it's a, it's a pile of wires or it's a hot glue gun. Yeah. <laughs> it could be, it could be anything. So we kind of, we sometimes uh, call ourselves the grout of education in the school.
0: There you go. Well, so it, rem- it reminds me of the, I think there was a show about this at one time, and there's an actual organization that the guy, the founder of this organization, uh, was on the Tim Ferriss show at one point, and it's basically what this guy did. He he's like a genius, right? Like literally a genius, and he realized though how poor his emotional. Like, he was awful working with people, but the guy was a genius. And, and something triggered this, this awareness that, like, okay, I need to be better at working with people. It doesn't matter how smart. I am. And so what he does now is he recruits these other people who are geniuses, and he partners them with basically, like, a kindergarten teacher who has extremely high emotional intelligence, And then people can go to this organization, and they can solve literally any problem that they want to solve. Like they're, they'll figure it out. Like they'll put a price tag on it. I mean, nothing bad, right? Not like, you know, you want to, whatever it is, right? Right. Imagine any bad scenario. Uh, They won't do that. But like, you know, you want to get your business off the ground. You want to solve or some insolvable problem, and you have enough money to pay them. They have the geniuses. To figure out literally how to do anything. And then the people with extremely high emotional intelligence to be able to think, communicate or relay that idea to the people who have these needs. That's um, awesome. And there was a show about it at one point. I can't think of what it was called. I'll put it in the show notes. But there was a show about it at, at one time. And, uh, and it sounds a lot like what you're currently doing.
1: Yeah. Oh, so like I like think I might know standpoint. what you're – I think I know the show you're talking about. I just never watched it. It's called like yeah the, the Yes Men, isn't it? Is that it? I don't remember.
0: I don't remember what it was called. I'll, I'll find it anyway, and, I, I'll, and then I'll DM you when I think of what the name was. And I'll okay,
1: sure, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. But cool, so yeah. It's it, with the way you were describing it. it totally reminded me of this uh, of of this organization and then the show that was on TV. I love it. I love it, dude. Like you, You'll you find solutions to, to whatever the problems are. And I think it's so cool that it goes beyond the classroom stuff. Maybe there's the personal stuff, the social, emotional. That's it. Well, we're uh, trying to – Issues that
1: kids can be dealing with. That's exactly it. We're trying to teach the whole kid and support the whole kid and support the whole teacher too. Like a lot of what we do ends up being like sitting down with teachers and helping them work through some of the ideas that they're wrangling with in classes and stuff they want to do. And that leads into whatever else is – They're, they're wrangling with. And so we've done, we've done mindfulness workshops to help with, um, with, with anybody. Um, teachers were invited, kids were invited and we had, um, people talking about breathing and we had people talking about, um, uh, gosh, all sorts of different things. Uh, we, we're doing one on essential oils. We did one on uh, healthy relationships, we did one on uh, mindfulness and meditation and self-hypnosis. Um, so it's been pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really cool.
0: I, I, is there anyone else in Maine that's doing like that type of mindfulness work in schools? Is that picking up any traction out there?
1: Um, there's a lot of people doing mindfulness. Um, uh, a lot. And it's it's definitely like a uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's I don't want to say it's a hot topic because that makes it sound like it's going to go away but there is a increasing desire to more strategically bring mindfulness into learning spaces and make it not just about something you do on a yoga retreat or something you do at home on your porch uh like that it's something that we we need to be doing with all of our students all the time
0: I love that um I'm sure you've probably heard of this too, but the the examples of like uh on the west coast in these low income neighborhoods um they're instead of detention or suspension they're doing mindfulness meditation with these kids and they're supposedly just having like profound you know unexpected positive results
1: that's awesome awesome yeah that's yeah, a, I think, and i think
0: that I think there's a lot there
1: yeah so so do i and 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 so does Becky and that's what we're we're really trying to to uh to make make happen so it's not just a mindfulness space but it's it's well it goes back to we were talking about my book and my book is called intention and the the reason why my friend Amy Burval and I wrote it and the reason why we called it intention is just this idea that we need to make students more aware and we need to make ourselves more aware of why we're doing what we're doing as we're doing it and doing you know being more deliberative in our practice you know teachers being more deliberate about why am i assigning this you know this assessment why why have i chosen this to be the way i ask kids to think about this um why have why am i saying that this is a criteria that demonstrates proficiency why am i saying that if you turn it in on this day, it's okay. And if you turn it in on the next day, it's not. Why is it? Why, like? And and not that there is a reason not to do any of those things, but to have a actual purpose behind what you're doing and to be thinking about it in relation to all the other choices that we make. And it can sound like really overwhelming, but it can be as simple in practice as, Asking students to reflect on what they made and what they created, and holding them accountable for that reflection, having it be something that isn't just a, an exit ticket that gets them out the door, or uh, or or going through the motions, but but to ask ourselves like, what would happen if after a student makes a project, you didn't even look at the project to do the assessment, you actually just looked at the reflection for first. And to see how they yeah. justify the choices they made in their project. And are you getting a sense of what this project is from that? And if you're not, then to to stop right there and say, I need to know why you did what you did. I need to know why you chose to paint this, the colors you painted it. I need to know why you chose to use these sentences, why you chose this language, why you, you know, why you built it out of these materials, um, and not those materials, um, and really challenge kids to, to be more deliberative in all that they do. Um, because I think that's going to help with mindfulness, um, which is also in turn going to help with us being better connected to the people around us and building better relationships. And that's going to be I, – I, I firmly believe that relationship building and human, human interaction is going to be what separates us from the rest of the world. Um, moving forward, our ability to have strong emotional intelligence and our ability to to think with our with the, the right sides of our brain um, is going to be what what carries us forward um, as a society moving forward. Which is super heady and not like really deep, but I I really strongly believe that. <laughs> then, you know, like no, dude, I, it's not going like right to be like who can right. It's not going to be about who can answer more no. math questions faster. That's like. Uh, Right. No one will be faster than the quantum computers. No one. Like there no. is right. no reason right. for that. It's who can see the cracks. Not when in the was problem. the War of eighteen twelve? <laughs> right. That's not going to be the thing. No, no. I
0: I love the direction this is going already because um, this is a conversation that I love to have, but sometimes I have a hard time finding people who who also want to participate because a lot of times people are like, Eric, what the hell are you talking about? This is way too deep right now. Um, we're like. <laughs> having coffee on a Tuesday morning, dude, like slow down, you know? Right. Um, but no, I, I totally agree because, you know, like you think about automation and artificial intelligence and the direction that everything's going. Um, everything that I understand about that future is that human connection and and uh, your ability to work with people and understand people and empathize with them is going that that skill is going to be just so much more important than it ever has been in the past because technology is going to automate all these like mundane tasks that are they're no longer going to have meaning. And so that connection between people um, is gonna be crucial to, to your point for us to be able to live in this hybrid society of technology and in human beings, otherwise, what's going to be the point for us after all.
1: Right. And, you know, and when I have conversations about this with kids, you know, I I teach in rural Maine and, you know, you get into that about like the world of the future and whatever. And kids are like, dude, seriously, I'm going to go work for my uncle's garage and I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to work on, on snowmobiles. I want to work on trucks. I want to work on trailers. I want to work on, like, I want to work diesel. And I go, awesome. Like, I'm not going to – I don't want to deter you from that at all because that is super important work. Being a mechanic is one of the best jobs you can have right now, especially if you can get to diesel mechanics. Uh, Like, there is such a need for it. If you are good with your hands, if you're good at building things, awesome. And then I have the conversation that follows with, and you also need to really understand people. Because if you are the guy who can have a really meaningful conversation with your client and the person whose machine you're fixing, and you know the best way to solve it, and they want you to do something different, or you know that you really should spend the money on the higher end part, and they don't really want to, then you're going to be in a better position to make, make that case. And you're going to be the guy that they come to again and again and again because they trust you, and they trust you because you have a relationship with them. Because it's going to be fewer and fewer people who are just okay with, we don't care whoever, just fix it. That's going to be less and less. And that's going to be how you separate yourself from the mechanic down the street. Especially in a place with relatively, um, well, what's the word I'm looking for? We struggle economically here in Western Maine. So if everybody opens a garage, the only ones that are going to survive are the ones that are doing something better than the other guy. And it's not going to be necessarily fixing the car. Yep. Right. Well said. And, um, and that's, mm-hmm. and that, you know, actually, as a matter of fact, that conversation that I was having earlier about the, or the point I was making earlier about um, the FDR speech. And that's because that young lady wants to be a mechanic. That's what she wants to do. And she wants to eventually own her own garage. And so I said, well, let's take those interests that you already have. And let's just try to apply those into this assessment where you're given some free reign, you know, you've got the expectations, but you've been told you can make anything you want to meet those expectations. So let's, let's play in a space that, that you're interested in and it can be funny and silly, you know, but it's also going to show your, you know, what you actually know. And it's going to give you some thoughts for moving into the future of when you're looking at starting your own garage. Like, how do I want to present myself? What do I want people to think of when they think of my garage.
0: I would imagine then so much of what you're describing right now is a a term um, that I've learned about through you. And it's this idea of critical creativity. So tell me more about critical creativity. How does, is that related to what we're currently talking about right now?
1: Yeah, it, it totally is. So the, the idea behind critical creativity is that we can deepen our understanding of content knowledge and content-based skills by using creative expression that the act of creative expression is inherently higher order thinking and if we're doing that with those levels of intention that we were talking about a moment ago then the depth of thinking only increases and students are more likely to remember are more likely to internalize uh more likely to to build those semantic connections in their brain pieces where they're like okay oh i that's right when we were doing this i made this and i made this using this because it was the best way to show this about that <laughs> and i'm using vague right. terms but or,
0: or or maybe even like the the best way for me to show that because that's that's how my brain works and based on my set of background experiences this is what makes the most sense for me to be able to show you that i understand it right exactly you're going with
1: that yes yeah absolutely and that's where that human center piece like comes if, in if right? i've
0: never played with legos if i've never played with legos my entire life and you're like eric i want you to show me something through building legos i'm going to be like dude i don't i can't do that what are you talking about but uh, i'm really great at you know um, hot gluing some sticks together and making little constructions out of like things that I've found in nature and I can convey to you my understanding of something through that medium and that's going to make a lot more sense. to
1: Yeah, oh absolutely. Um, and, and also it's also about okay so you've never built with Lego before Eric, okay that's fine why not try doing it right now? Like why not make it why not use a form of expression you're not comfortable with because it's a low stakes environment. We don't have to make everything like you need to do this and it has to be perfect. It's like, it's okay for it to be messy. It's okay for it to not look great because it's about what's the intention behind what you were trying to do. So having students articulate what they were trying to make happen with those Lego bricks, for example, Through that, you get to find out, oh, you actually understand the concept. You totally get it. You just don't know how to do it using this material. Well, that's okay.
0: Right. So it's not about the – yeah. It's not about the output. It's not about the Lego
1: thing at the end. It's about what was your thought process
0: between – Yeah,
1: and that's the critical creativity. That's the critical thinking, right? What's your thought process and getting getting metacognitive about it like – like, what mm-hmm. led you to that place?
0: Yeah, and I love how you you give them permission to fail. That, you know, whatever you're going to do right now, it, the end product doesn't have to be perfect. But let's try it and see what happens. Right. And then explain to me your how process.
1: Right. I had a student the other day going on about how bad she is at art. And then she came in with this beautiful watercolor. Just absolutely gorgeous watercolor. A portrait she did of another student in her class that she, she made using pen and ink, blind drawing mixed with watercolor. And it was just, it was so good. I put it up on Facebook. It was just stunningly cool. And she's like, why are you so excited about it? I go, well, talk to me about this. She's like explaining how she couldn't look down. She had to do it this way and whatever. And I go, you just, you captured it so well. And you told me that you're terrible at this. And she kind of shrugged and she's like, well, I have to admit, I've never really done it. So I didn't know if I could do it or not. And I'm like, <laughs> well, there it is, kid. You know, like so many times we don't try things because we have created conditions so often in schools, whether on purpose or not, that makes students risk averse in really unfortunate ways. And uh, we perpetuate it without even being aware of it. You know, we, we condition them to it's one and done. You got to do it right the first time. Everything is the most important thing. You can't be late. Ten points off for lateness. You know, no retakes. So many things that we do and that we've, we've come to understand is just the way schools are. We don't really have a good reason for any of them, especially in an era where we have fewer and fewer people who go to work on assembly lines where the whole point is just do the exact thing you're supposed to do over and over and over again and do it on time. It's just mm-hmm. it's just not how most worlds of work are. Like and then I'll hear, "Well, you know, in the trades." I go, "In the trades, you're hiring skilled craftsmen to do things that no one else can do." Like they're not hiring like like they're looking for machine operators far fewer than they're looking for machinists. And machinists are not this mm-hmm. it, it, being a machinist is not the same as being a machine operator. They're not looking for people to pull levers, they're looking for people who can fix the thing that you, you know, fix the lever that you pull, and they're looking for people to solve complex problems that use machine equipment. Right? That's what they're that's where the trades are. are at. So,
0: right? The 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 trades are not the jobs that are going to be automated someday.
1: No, they're not. They're, and that's what that's why more kids need to be looking at them as 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 potential pathways towards a really prosperous and amazing career, you know, like yeah, I, I, I encourage it all the time and I didn't used to, I, I I'll fully admit it wasn't that I thought down on them. I just look at a kid and say, well, you're capable of doing this and you're capable of doing this, which one is likely to provide you with a, with a longer term, you know, happiness and, and, prosperity and all that, and I kind of lean towards, you know, the professions, so to speak. And that I did that for years without really understanding the trades. And I think also at the same time, the world of of trade work has also changed. I think there's there's a lot more to it now. And there's a lot more human-centered to it and there's a lot more critical thinking to it than what was you know, what might've been 25, 30 years ago. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like a, (laughs) we took a little tangent land there, but, but but the idea just being like, even in those spaces, getting kids thinking deliberately about, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. If you ask a kid in a plumbing program, why did you use that? You know, why did you use that adhesive to hold those two pipes together? They'll explain to you, oh, because of boiling points and uh, flexibility and uh, they'll give you all kinds of viscosities. They'll, they'll explain all sorts of stuff to you about why that's the right product to use for that, for that solution. It's, we should be doing the same thing in our academic classes. Why did you structure your essay out this way? Why is it six paragraphs? Like, and why did you put your paragraph break here? Why didn't you why didn't you make this whole thing one you know one page? Why is it why why are you using semicolons throughout? Like just it's it's not questioning in terms of you've done it wrong. It's questioning so you think about how you've done it right.
0: Yeah, I like I like the way you put that there. It, yeah, you're you're right. It's not, you know, accusatory. It's not, you know, shaming. It's well, let's just think about it, right? Let's be like you said, mindful of the way that we're doing things, and, and I can imagine, you know, everything that you're saying being extremely powerful for student learning. I think would also apply for teachers and their own professional learning.
1: Exactly. Oh, so much so, so much so. All the integrates right. It's all it's all learning, and it's it's just this idea, this idea that that we do things on rails because it's just the way it's always been done and it's not that the way it's always been done is wrong we just haven't thought about why is that the way it's always been done right and we we don't you know uh i get into conversation about things like like due dates and points off and i look at like a I look at someone with a call they'll call it a rubric but it's really just like a checklist and with a bunch of with a bunch of um, things next to it that take off points for being wrong <laughs> and, I, and doing things wrong. Five, minus five for this and minus 10 for that. And I'll go like, so why is it minus 10? And so I'll go, be- well, because there's 10 criteria. And if they don't do this one, then it's 10 points off. I go, why? If it's super important, shouldn't it be like 50 points off? And they're like, well, that's that's absurd. And I go, why? <laughs> you know, Like, why is that absurd? It's just as absurd to only take 10 points off if this thing is so important. Right. If everything is, if it's the way it has to be, then shouldn't every criteria be a hundred points? Like, if we're gonna, you know, arbitrarily choose, then we should. Th- then, then why not take that to the extreme and justify every, you know, justify everything? Oh, everything can be arbitrary. I, I'm arbitrarily taking up seventy five points because you didn't put your name on the paper. Well, that's unfair. Well, is it any? more unfair (laughs) is it any Mm -hmm. it's any more fair to take out five points like right why are you taking out points at all like
0: right well at the end of the day like did you learn how to do it or not
1: exactly did
0: you did you master this concept this skill whatever the case may be um this is something that comes up a lot with like standards-based or competency-based approaches to education it kind of gets rid of all that and really puts the emphasis on the actual learning. You know, I mean, if you think about the example of, you know, um, a kid who's trying to learn how to swim. Well, the first nine times they might not swim and and technically they failed. But the 10th time they were successful, well, what would the percentage be? How many points would they get? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like you either learned how to swim or you didn't. So imagine if you didn't give them a retake on the first nine times that they fail you know there's there's a lot of a lot of things that i think in a good way we're really starting to look at the why from like a, uh, an assessment and grading practices standpoint that i think are, are really healthy and i hope that the, con- the conversation really continues to go down that path because so much of what you're saying i think lends itself really well to that competency standards-based type Approach. How um, are are you guys incorporating any of that into your learning or into your, you know, routines and procedures? Is it maybe maybe it's happening, but not like consciously happening? Or schools in Maine, I know, like in the Northeast, there's a lot of schools that are um, implementing a a competency-based approach. What What are your thoughts around those things?
1: Well, so I'm, I personally am a huge fan of. Competency-based learning, proficiency-based learning, standards-based learning—whichever, like whatever your preferred nomenclature is. All this week, cousins, yeah, you know, they're all—they're all, you know, they're all shades of the same concept, right? Mm-hmm. They're all—they're all the same paint color. They just, you know, different hues or whatever. Um, but uh, what's happening? And we could go down a wicked rabbit hole with this and what's happened in Maine lately, but. The the short version is the state mandated it that we were all going to go to proficiency based learning and then they rescinded the mandate. So as a result, uh, there's all these schools and all these different stages of are they doing it? Are they not doing it? Is it working? Is it not working? It's been a very divisive experience, which is awful. Um, it's 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 fractured communities. It's led to a lot of animosity between teachers and other teachers and administrators and teachers and communities and schools. And it's, it's, and it's not because proficiency base is bad. It's because the way it was rolled out was done very poorly because our past, uh, state administration, uh, was, uh, we had a grossly incompetent governor and we had, uh, a series of ineffective commissioners um, who were interims and didn't really provide any leadership, um, and uh, the legislature was mandating things without providing the supports, the financial support, yeah, uh, the financial support necessary to to making those things a reality. Um, it's very hard to enact a systemic change across an entire state if you keep cutting funding from the office that is charged with doing those things. <laughs> Like it's right. it's next to yeah. impossible. Um, they say, well, it's all about local control and the local. Co- well, then you also cut funding that would go to the locals. Like every everything works together. Nothing worked together. Um, and unfortunately, um, a lot of misinformation got put out there. Um, uh, a lot of just a lot. Of, there are a lot of factors that led to um, the statewide adoption of proficiency-based being a a viable um, experience. To the positive, it's raised a lot of awareness of the benefits of what I prefer to lean towards is calling it standards-based because more people are comfortable with the term um, and we don't have to get Mm -hmm. into um, really long, what I think are silly arguments about what proficiency looks like. It's like... Uh, proficiency looks like what you put in your standard. Like I don't being able to do the thing that you say you're able to do consistently. I don't, I'm not sure what more, like, like how long we need to have that conversation, but, um, people like to have it and it's just, gets. we just end up in these, these cycles and these loops. But what's nice is instead of actually.
0: Instead of going anywhere, we just argue over semantics. We just, we then... just
1: argue over sem- so many arguments. So many arguments, yeah. and people just want to be right, and so they prov- they provide only one side of an argument. They don't provide both sides. They say we can only do it one way. There isn't more than one way to do things, which is silly. There's always more than one solution. Um, that's just really created a, a very unpleasant environment in many ways. Um, that's not to say our schools are unpleasant. It's just whenever you bring any of this stuff up in a school, most schools, people just, the eye rolls start, you know, the cold sweats and things. And the, the shame of it all is, like, we were doing standards-based teaching in our English department at our high school for years, and it was working. It was working really, really well. We knew what kids could do or what they couldn't do, and we could, and their grades were indicative of that. Even if we had to make it into an average at the end, which, like, made you know, me go into convulsions every time. Uh I felt like the numbers that went to that grade were an accurate representation of where the kid is at. Like that it was informed by actual evidence, not by um just some random sequence of numbers that happened to average out to this. Right? Like like leading up to it. Like I guess my friend's always referring to it as a sausage of education, like our grades, grading systems. And I'd say, well, okay. at least we were making way better sausage because our ingredients were that much better. Like it was really like we're talking some really nice like artisan sausages that we were making. And I love that. And then it all got kind of screwed up and messed up when, they, when we tried to go to make it a broader system. Um, and people – then you had to capitulate what was working try to help make it more palatable to people who were resistant to change and the things that were working got taken away um, yeah. and trying to put them back together again is really hard so it's good you know, these are all good people all trying to do what they think is right for kids um, just it, it just hasn't gone well so um, the nice thing about what's meant for what we do in our space is Kids come in and, you know, I can ask them straight up, so where are the standards you're working on? Like, what standard is this working towards? All right, cool. This thing isn't working for you. This, You are smashing your head against the wall. Let's see if we can come up with something else you could do to demonstrate this. And then I will have a conversation with your teacher and try to advocate for them accepting this as evidence. And chances are like 90% of the time that they'll say yes. You know, oh, yeah, this surely shows it. I'm like, Cool. But if it's like, I don't want to do this piece of writing and the standard is a writing standard, then I say, well, you're still going to have to produce the writing, but let's see what we can do to get you to a place where you're going to feel more confident going into that writing. And so let's use some of these critical creativity skills that I I try to teach. And let's, let's see if we, um, can, let's see if we can, um, You know, get you to use, let's say, make a color palette that demonstrates your understanding of this reading that you've done. What are the three colors that you would use um, to illustrate that, illustrate that, um, that novel or that poem or whatever it is that you're supposed to be writing this analytical essay about? And let's start there. Why would you choose those colors? Well, because of this and this and this and this and because of this and this and this. Cool. Now, imagine if each of those colors was your paragraphs. Your body paragraphs of your analysis. You just had all those reasons why that color would fit. Well, that's also the reasons why you you know, you just demonstrated you understand what this character is doing and why. You just demonstrated you understand the theme and why. So all that thinking you just did, now we just gotta translate that over into an essay. You know, and and then I'll say, like, what if you use those colors like in your essay? What if your your essay was like more like a multi-genre, but you're still expressing yourself through the written word? And they're like, oh, you know, like and the light bulb starts going off. right? Yeah. It starts going off, like, okay, I could maybe do that. Like, what if your thesis was was based on you making an argument that these three colors best represent the concepts of this novel, right? And or the or the the themes of the the poem are best illustrated by these three colors, right? And it because the essay need to be a five paragraph essay about the three themes that the poem is, you know illustrates you still have to have text evidence it still has to be structured it still has to have a good introduction it still has to have a good closing you know but you just did some creativity along the way to help you turn your essay into an expression you know into a personal expression as well
0: let me ask you this over time and probably through trial and error you really um you've really gotten better at asking those kinds of questions right now, if I'm an educator sitting at home right now,
1: and, <laughs> I know and, where you're going with it, <laughs> and I'm like,
0: yeah. So, and but that's kind of the goal. Like, that's what we're trying to do with the podcast is try to help that teacher who's at home and is like, dude, I am eating this up, Dan. Like, I am so with you, and I, I want to be able to do this with my kids. Where do I even get started? How do I know what kinds of questions to ask? Like, this all makes so much sense to me, but. I the whole thing with like the colors and the book
1: and <laughs> in the paragraphs
0: like <laughs> I, right. I can't do that off the cuff right, you know? like, I, right.
1: so anyone so, uh, yeah <laughs> sorry right, go this ahead. is like my brain is so weird
0: <laughs> no no I, I love it and and I know I know people listening are gonna love it too and they but then you know and they're gonna say well where do I start
1: okay start with something small start with something where you feel you personally feel very confident that the content is something kids really need to know that you're there's no question in your mind that this is vital like this is important stuff and start there and but make sure it is something that isn't huge it can't be it can't be the most important thing they're going to learn all year right because you're just going to have too much anxiety about it just something you know is important so let's let's play in um let's play in math instead of playing in english and social studies and kind of my background let's go into a different background let's play with math one of the most vital concepts in, in in mathematics is the order of operations right like that is absolutely key you need to know please excuse my dear aunt sally right Parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. If you don't know that, anytime you do an equation that's more complex than basic arithmetic, you're screwed. Right? So we're focusing on the order of operations. It's absolutely essential. Now, you gotta practice actually putting into action. There's no way to learn math without actually doing math. That's one of those things. Right? But let's say it was it, it was that, and then you said, okay here's what you need to do. I'm going to give you this pile of Lego building blocks. You're gonna set those in front of each each student. You're gonna say, I need you to make a representation of how parentheses work. Your only limitation is you can't make parentheses. I don't wanna see actual parentheses. because I'm not asking you to just write using Lego. I want you to show me what is it that parentheses do well they hold together like ideas right so anything within parentheses has to be done before you do the next thing right you, you can't you can't you can't move on to your exponents you can't move on to division and addition until everything is in your parentheses has been resolved right so can you create something not can you but how would you create something to demonstrate that concept? And he asked them to do the same thing for exponents. You know, you can't just put a put a a Lego down and then put a tiny Lego up above it and say, "See, it's exponents." You go, but that doesn't show me what exponents means. You've got to figure out a way to show the idea of exponential growth. How can you illustrate that using this pile of Lego in front of you? And so, you challenge them to do that. To take that picture, you know, use their device or or whatever's available to them. They could even just doodle it out after they, they done it, but then explain through the construction and that kinesthetic experience of building that little, that little model of what each of those operations means in the space of doing that. They're better wrangling with the underlying numeracy, the actual understanding of how math works while they're doing that. And then you give them a bunch of, a bunch of, you know, problem sets to, to figure out and make sure that they're, they're doing them correctly. Right? Like, awesome. You've done all this exactly the right way. That's wonderful. Right? And then maybe along the way, you give them like 10 of those problem sets. And then you ask them like on that same thing, say, by the way, can you explain here? What did you make to demonstrate your understanding of, division and why did you make that so you keep bringing them back to the model that they made and get them still thinking about that why did you make the model the way you made it right and that gives you an opportunity to have a conversation with them it has gives you an opportunity to see how their brain is thinking about math gives them a chance to articulate how they think about math but it's really just coming down to taking a handful of, of Lego bricks or any building block, Or really, any material you want them to use. It could be a handful of buttons. It could be a handful of Jenga blocks. It could be a handful of cereal. It could be, it it doesn't matter what the stuff is, right? It's about the idea of using manipulatives, which is not a huge stretch for math at all, right? Many of us learned math in the early goings through manipulatives. But Then we get into middle and secondary, and we kind of like poo-poo on them, which is crazy because they we we learn the basics that way. Like, what's wrong with going back and trying to articulate through manipulatives those same concepts, but just or, or the new concepts using the same manipulatives but in a different way? There, there's there's just a different way to go about doing that thinking. So that's you know you start with this idea of what do I have available to me? What does I really want them to know how to do? And how can I challenge them to show me that they understand that using this material that I have available?
0: And then, and so with part of that challenging then is, is like that process of asking why or asking them to explain um, their thought process. Is that
1: right? Exactly. Exactly. And and remember like if you're in a math class why ask them to write that out in a paragraph they, they don't need to write it they could record it using any one of the gazillion tools that you could use my preferred tool is flipgrid like have them record it on flipgrid and share their thinking so that you can hear hear their thinking you can hear exactly what they were they were coming from but they're not slowed down by writing it and there's also no reason, no reason to offer both options to them. I just need that expression. I just need you to explain why you did what you did. And so, like, that's, that's, a, that's what I call, um, please let go, my dear Aunt Sally. You know, that's, that's what, that's just like my little clever nickname for that experience. But it's just one way to integrate that idea of creative expression through, in, in, you know, through Lego in mathematics. Yeah, or so, you know, or yeah. Go ahead.
0: So I was, I was just going to ask. Go. Oh, is this always a one-on-one conversation with students? Can you do it in small groups? Can you do a whole
1: class? You can do it whatever what works. With? So whatever what works example? for you. I I wouldn't ever do it with a whole like I wouldn't do that as a whole class because so many kids can just opt out of doing it. Right. Like they can just sit in the back and like whatever. I'll let someone else do that thinking. Right. But I would do like individuals, then maybe come together as a group. So you've got a group of individuals, they all make their own, their own. And then you say, all right, get together with the four people around you, share what each other made. And then I want you to to work together to decide which is the best representation of each of the, of each of the order, you know, each of the operations, which is the best. Like, okay, Mike did a great job designing this. Caleb did a nice job with this. Audra did a nice job on this, you know, Jose did a nice job on this, you know, Lily did a nice job on this. All right, this these are this is our collection, right? This is our collection to represent it in that small group. And then you could kind of, from there, you could pick a representative from each group and say, all right, we want, we're going to have, you could do like a fishbowl discussion where you kind of have everybody around and then you send your dignitary into the middle and they bring, everyone bring your parentheses. So everyone brings their representation of parentheses. And that middle group, while the rest of the class is watching, is looking in and seeing, and hearing the discussion of what did each group do and why did they make the choices that they made to understand parentheses. And you're probably going to find commonalities. You're probably going to find networks. For a teacher, how great would that be to get that formative you know, assessment done where you're kind of like looking and seeing like who knows who gets it right and and what are you hearing and then each of the others bring in the other models as they go as you go and you and then you decide as a class what are our models those visuals you take a picture of them you create a little slide show you make that available on your blog on your website or you email out to every kid so they have this little collection this little album of photos and when you're doing work that requires them to remember order of operations, you ask them to bring that up on their screen. Here you go, just to remember, this is parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction, and why? And here it is. Like what is parentheses really doing? Oh, it's grouping. What's exponents? It's exponential growth. Why is it so important that parentheses and and exponents come first? Like why is that here? Why is that not after? Right, the, that's all the stuff that you can talk about without doing fifty-five problem sets, and that problem sets aren't going to explain. Doing doing it over and over and over and over again so that you memorize the order in which it should happen isn't necessarily going to do a lick to help you understand why that order happens.
0: Right, conceptual versus procedural.
1: Exactly, procedural. Yeah. exactly, and you can do both. There's room for both you don't have to sacrifice. So I hear all the time. But how am I going to get to the next unit? I go, what's the point of getting to the next unit if they don't understand the first unit? <laughs> like if if you know if you're bemoaning your kids' results on their quizzes and tests and they don't know, then why are you going to unit 2? You've got kids who are ready cool. That's a that's a different conversation about how to structure out your course so that you know, you can have have differentiation and you can have, you know, some different throttles for different students, but, and, and a more personalized experience. But in terms of like, is it worth the time it takes to do this stuff? I'm like, I, it's hard for me to say, well, it's better to just keep giving them more and more and more problems to solve because that's the only way they do it. Yes. The only way you learn how to do the procedure is by practicing the procedure. I haven't seen the evidence that proves that just by doing procedure means you understand the concept.
0: Yeah, using a bigger hammer doesn't
1: help. Not necessarily, right? Like right. you, you got to hammering two hundred nails doesn't explain why you use nails instead of screws. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a like good, it doesn't way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like that's not it's not answering uh, the underlying problem, and that's where I find working in my, the capacity I work, kids don't, kids struggle with math because they don't understand the why behind the math. And not in like, why do I need to know this? But in the, why is this number, like, why is, you know, why is this the way we go about solving it? And most math teachers know why. It's just they haven't felt the compelling reason to explain it to kids or don't feel like they can, don't feel like they have the tools available to them to help explain it. And that's where those creative pieces of creative expression can really come in handy when you're like, oh, wait, maybe the problem is I've been trying to explain a concept using procedural methods and I need to think about it conceptually instead and teach them using conceptual methods.
0: So where does a teacher start in terms of, like, I picture uh, the beginning of the year I start asking my students why, and for the last let's say ten years, no one's ever asked them why, and they're like, uh, "Just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it." Versus like,
1: <laughs> which me. is the other thing, I could say all the time to me too. Right? Uh, you're going to make me think about this. <laughs> yeah. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Right? And like, and well, I'm not going kind, to do that. <laughs> no,
0: but they've kind of been programmed that way, right? right. And so. You know, let's say going into fall of 2019, I'm going to flip the script as a teacher and, and I'm going to start, you know, really getting to the root of the why on some of these things. And I'm going to get pushback initially from our kids, right? It's just natural because the kids are not used to that. So if I were to encounter that initial, you know, bump in the road of like kids, you know, not being used, to to uh, a teacher asking the questions of like, why are, why are you using parentheses here? Why are you, or whatever it might be, not just math, right? How do you kind of create that culture in the beginning of the year so that it becomes something that's ingrained um, throughout the
1: rest of the school year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, but I think it starts, you start early, you start often. But you can start at any point. You don't have to wait to the beginning of the year. This doesn't have to be stuff where you're like, well, I'll wait till next year. Um, you could do this tomorrow. Um, totally agree.
0: But in, and right? I, think, I think starting tomorrow and starting small, like you said at first, I think that makes a ton of sense, right? Like pick a spot here or there between now and the end of the year and, and kind of dabble with it. But then, like, let's say I want to go whole hog in fall semester, you know, the beginning of the school year, and I really want to embrace this um that that's one thing that I would always be concerned of is you know like anytime you try something new whether it's like project-based learning or any other approach that kids are just simply not used to they're gonna be like taken aback when they're like whoa 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 what do you mean I have to think what do you mean I get choice and voice like I'm not used right. to this I'm totally thrown off by this right you know what I'm saying so how do you how yeah do yeah you, no I totally hear you. how do you help them overcome that
1: so, borrowing from design thinking, is that building up that creative confidence. So we do lots of stuff that has low, low risk, high reward. Um, lots of of uh, of uh, just go for it, just try it, um, experiment. Um, lots like we just try to do a lot of things. Um, Some of them are small, some are big, but I would suggest like have a lot of different materials to try doing things with. So the way I to 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 think about it is like and what I would do with my students when I had my regular classrooms is I would do like one critical creativity experience a week, like as a blog post. Uh, You don't have to do as a blog post, but it'd be like I'm going to do one this week. We're going to pull something that we did this week, and they're going to have to express it uh, using some form of creativity. So it might be this week. I want them to create a. Um, I want them to to do a casting call for if they're going to make a movie about the historical events we were studying. Who would you cast, and why would you cast those people in the movie? And I would give them the guidelines. It cannot be because they've played the characters before. It cannot be because they're really popular and people will go see it. It has, you have to connect the dots between that actor's skill sets and the role that they're going to be playing and show me that you understand why that character, you know, why would that actor be the right person to portray those ideas? Um, So that would be like one, one week. The week after that might be create a playlist. I don't should create a playlist of three songs um, that illustrate the ideas in science that we've been studying, this idea of um, uh, global warming and, and, and how how global warming uh, happens. like what's the what's the actual science behind radiation coming in, getting trapped inside, not you know, how does that actually work? But I want you to choose three songs that capture that concept and you're going to put them together as a playlist and then we're going to make that into a master playlist. But for each song, you've got to explain why that song, is it something musically that happens in it? Is it something lyrically that happens? Why, you know, it can't be three songs that you like. It needs to be three songs that demonstrate this concept. Um, And just the idea of like over the space of like a quarter, you know, an academic quarter, then you've got this nice collection of things that they've they've done you know, over these weeks. And then you might say, all right, now I want you to go through and I want you to find the three best artifacts. You've made all these things. I want you to choose the three best that you've done, that you think best demonstrate what you understand about what we've been studying. And I want you to explain to me why you chose those three as your best evidence. And there you've got this way of, of tying it into to, um, your standards-based learning, right? You've got this way of keep, of making sure that those creative expressions aren't just one, one and dones. They're not just these like little flights of fancy that they're tied to something meaningful. Um, but then you can also see progress over time of what students have been doing, which types of expression were more successful for some students than others. You can challenge yourself to offer up something new. I found myself doing a lot with music one year and I was like, good Lord, I need to stop assigning the music things. <laughs> like I've got to give them something <laughs> else. Yeah. Right. And so like, so, so in our book intention, we provide 40 different activities you could do with kids. Some of them are more robust than others, but we, we even like provide like the time frames it would take to do each. Um, and of like the, there's 40 of them. We explain how to use them in multiple content areas. We explain how to use them in multiple grade levels. And we explain how to turn them into more robust experiences that you could you could do with them. You could turn them into, um, we call it amplification, where these things could, could turn into full-on units or, or publications or experiences that, that happen in the community. We explain that. And we also explain like what's the critical thinking that's going on, what, you know, what's happening in the Blooms taxonomy while, you're, while your students are doing this? So you can know, exactly where you're hitting on those scales if you're trying to get a nice balanced representation of higher order and lower order thinking. Um, and so we we did that with the idea that people need variety and they need to be able to change things up. And we also created it with the idea that, well, here's all these options. We call them pathways, not lesson plans because it's just one way to go about doing it. There's, there's n- nothing saying you have to do it the way we would do it. If all that looking at that pathway does is spark an idea of how you would do it. Perfect. Great. Go for it. Um, like throughout the book, I, I, we kind of keep hitting on the ideas. It really doesn't matter how you go about doing it. What's important is what do you have the students do with, with what they made afterwards? What's the, you know, where do you make sure that they're demonstrating their thought processes behind what they made? Right. Cause we, we we believe like if if they make it then they'll get it. But if they if if they just make it and they never think about why they made it or how they made it, then they won't. Then it'll just kind of sit there and it'll just be be well what I call a dumpster project, which is you grade it, you throw it away. You grade it, you throw it. You, you know you delete it. You grade it. Yeah, it goes into the nether world of a Google Drive never to be seen again and that's not good for anybody. Right.
0: No. So. Okay, so so, yeah. so I I think I'm following you. So so between now and the end of the school year, I could try Did you say you call them pathways? The yeah. 40 There's 40 pathways, is that correct?
1: Yeah. And if you go to uh intentionthebook.online, li- intention mm-hmm. um, you'll find uh, uh, let's see, four, four of them, like the full on pathways, we put up four of them that you can just for free. You can just try it out. You can just try it. it, Yeah. Okay. Yep. Just go and people can just go for it and try it. Um, So, so between uh, now and
0: end of the year, I could try one, one or more of those four and and kind of get my feet wet and, and maybe even recycle them. Right. I mean, four is enough. Oh, absolutely. uh, you, You can do one of the four more than once between now and then. Um, Absolutely. So I love that. I love that I could try that between now and the end of the year. And then over the summer, I could start to think about how do I incorporate some of these additional ideas? One thing that has come up over and over in the podcast is how important it is to um, kind of surround yourself or, or thrust yourself into a community of people to, to create like a support network for yourself, right, of other people who are doing this. Is there a network um, either online, um, on Twitter, on social media somewhere, I think you said you yeah, had a Facebook group, um, where teachers can connect with other teachers who are trying these same things for the first time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have a Facebook group. It's a small but burgeoning uh, community. Uh, and it's just called Critical Creativity. You'll find it there. Uh, my preferred way to connect people is through Twitter. Um, it's just where I happen to live uh, when I'm not uh, living in a real life. <laughs> my my preferred digital life is there on Twitter, and um, the hashtag uh is and the hashtag rigorous whimsy. That's the other term we use for it. Um, you can find tons of examples of what people have been doing um, and what we you know, what we share out what we've seen people doing. Um, you can find links to different presentations we've done, uh, different workshops. I believe as we're recording this right now, I believe Amy's in South Carolina, uh, doing a workshop with art teachers. Um, but there's all, uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, quite, quite a collection of us and really just people can reach out to me too. And I, I love connecting dots between people, um, and just helping, um, make that happen.
0: Sure. So like you know, you know a handful of teachers, and you meet this new one. And you're like, oh my god, I should totally connect you with you, you know, yeah, each other, and then you guys can kind of help, you know, push yourselves forward. Yeah, um, I like being that connector too.
1: Yeah, and so like, so but really, it's just like we're just trying to, we're just trying to help e- help everybody <laughs> make the change. J- you know, like make things a yeah. little more deliberate for. For all and um, and and make creativity um, part of everybody's lives, uh, learning lives uh, in ways that maybe they hadn't thought of before. But yeah, really um, connect with me on Twitter, connect with me on email, um, and I'd love I love playing matchmaker.
0: Cool. Well, as always, um, I will provide all the links uh, to topics books resources that dan and i have talked about i'll provide those in the show notes um one thing i want to circle back with you on uh as we were sitting here talking the name of the show uh it was scorpion there was a show called scorpion about memory oh yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. i got you i was thinking of a documentary but yeah no i got you i know what that is
0: Okay, yeah, so there was a show called Scorpion, and then um, the actual, so there's like the actual, you know, so Scorpion's based on this actual organization, and um, it is called, uh, where's it at? Here it is. So it's called um, conciergeup.com. And it's a for hire global think tank that provides intelligence on demand as a concierge service. The tagline for the latter is for any funded need. And so if you go to the Tim Ferriss podcast, you can find all kinds of information about these guys. And it's just this brilliant idea of like, well, let's just get all these really super smart people together. And then you can hire us out to solve your, your problems, whatever they may be. So totally like the program that you got going. So, all right. So to wrap it up, there's always a couple of questions I, I like to ask. Is, is there anything else that you want to get into without like going into a rabbit hole on some of the critical creativity stuff? Nope.
1: I think that's good. <laughs> I, I think yeah. I am not capable of not being in a rabbit hole at this point. Um, gotcha. Okay. But yeah, no, no that's, I think good. that's perfect. And, and uh, I got to go clean out my yard. We got like a foot of snow last night. and oh wow okay i think i think uh i think the rest of the family's already been out shoveling and i think they're waiting for me to go out and snowblow it so
0: got it all right well i'll let you get going man um that sounds cool thanks man Yeah. Dan, thank you. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. I've got a lot of new ideas. Every time I talk to somebody like you, it makes me think like, man, I should go back and work in the schools. I would really have a lot of fun doing this.
1: Exactly. All right, man. I got to chat and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Sounds good.
0: Thanks, dude. All right,
1: man. Take care.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the episode. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend or subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, remember, if you want to join in the conversation, Use the Modern Measures hashtag on Twitter or follow us. You can also find us on Facebook. Till next time, I'm Eric Patnodes, and this has been a conversation on Modern Measures of Learning.